this week, we are looking at what we might call the pillar of Christianity. It's like the doctrinal pillar. It's the uh, Christian experience pillar, and that is the pillar of salvation. Now, the question for us to look at today that we're going to all be asking is, have we met Jesus? Have we met Jesus? Do you yet have your own salvation story? And have you allowed God, have you let God use you to help somebody else in their salvation story? Have you met Jesus? Do you have a salvation story? And have you allowed God to use you to help somebody else in their salvation story? Now, I know this, that before I met Jesus and before you met Jesus, for those who have, the Bible describes us a couple different ways. One of the words that the Bible describes us as is lost. The Bible describes us as alienated from God. The Bible says if you don't have a salvation story and you're not in Jesus yet, you're actually without hope in the world. But when we meet Jesus, the Bible shifts that language. And it says that we are no longer lost, but we, instead of lost, does anybody know we're not lost, but we're, we're found, right? We're, we're reconciled to God. Another passage says we're saved. The story of how somebody uh, receives Jesus or, or comes to Jesus is oftentimes called their conversion story or their testimony. And if you're here this morning and you have met Jesus, you have a conversion story. You have a testimony. And some of you, today's the day that's going to be your story, your conversion story, your salvation story. Now, some people, uh, your conversion story, your testimony, yours might be dramatic, something that's just, that's just really dramatic and really obvious. And, and, and for example, I talked to one person this week, and their story was such that they had believed in God, they were on this journey towards God, they believed in Jesus, but they hadn't had that really that conversion yet. And it was there in the parking lot at their work that, so, that something had occurred and God was kind of working in their heart and in their life. And at the parking lot at work, they went down to their knees. They lifted up their hand in the parking lot and they cried out to God and they surrendered their life to Jesus and gave their life to Jesus. Now, that's not everybody's story, is it? That's not all of our stories. Some of us may not remember the exact day or the exact hour or even all the details of how it happened, but we should at least know if we know Jesus, right? We should at least know and be able to talk about that journey, that process of how we came to know him. See, if you're married here this morning, and I ask you on a scale of one to 10, how sure are you that you know you're married? Right, or what would you say, right? I I'm positive I know my wife, Heather. I'm positive that I know when I, even when I first met her, and it was there on a Tuesday night after we had this kind of this gathering, and there I walked down the hallway, and there Heather was, and she was sitting, she was reading a book, and there was a light, it was like the only light in the hallway shining down on her, and the angels were just, you know, you know, and that was going on, and I walked up to her, and she was reading Pilgrim's Progress, and that was the first time we met, and it was all uphill from there. I remember details of our first date. I remember details of, of you know, that time when it came to propose to her, including when I presented her a ring without a diamond in it. 
And some of you have heard that story, and it was awful and terrible for me on so many levels, and of course for Heather it was worse, but I know, I remember that. So if you ask me on a scale of 1 to 10, do I know if I'm married to Heather, the answer, of course, is a 10. Listen to John chapter 10, verse 14. It says, Jesus is saying this, he says, I'm the good shepherd, I know my sheep, and my sheep what? My sheep, they know me. So here's the question. Do you know that you know God? Do you know that you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Do you know your salvation story? This morning, I want to look together at one particular man who comes to know Jesus. And his story shows us this pillar that's called salvation. So I'd like you to turn, if you haven't yet, to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. I want to see the story together. And and as you're turning to Acts chapter 8, let me give you the context and set this up. Jesus has recently died. He was laid in the tomb for three days, but he said he would rise from the dead because he was the Son of God and he was our Savior. And he proved that by three days later, rising from the dead. And before he went back to heaven to be with his father, he told his followers, his disciples, he said, I want you to go out and I want you to make more disciples. I want you to tell people this good news that I've come here, that I am God in the flesh and I've died for your sins and I rose from the dead. And if you believe in me, you can have life. He said, I want you to go share that good news with everybody. And as you do that, I want you to make disciples and I want you to baptize them. So his followers did that. And they shared this good news in Jerusalem, and the church grew rapidly. In fact, 3,000 joined this group on that very first day, the very first time the message of Jesus was preached. And then it branched out past Jerusalem to Judea, because Jesus said to do it. And then at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, Philip shares this good news with a group of people called the Samaritans. And these Samaritans, the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along, but Jesus said, I want you to share my message with the Jewish people and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so it branched out and hundreds, maybe thousands received salvation, these Samarians. Now, let's pick it up in verse 26, Acts chapter 8. It says this, now, which is referring to like they're in the middle of the salvation explosion. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go south uh, toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Gaza is a small Philistine town, basically out in the middle of nowhere. And if you have some Old Testament Bible knowledge, you, you hear that term Philistine, and you go, oh, I don't think the Jewish people got along well with the Philistines, right? And they didn't. And, and, and so here, first of all, they've gone to the Samaritans, which the Jews don't like. Now they've gone to the Philistines, which the Jews don't like. But Philip is doing what Jesus commanded. He's going and he's making disciples to the Samaritans and then to the Philistines. And what is this telling us right in chapter 8? It's telling you and I and it's showing you and I the very heart of God. That God cares about all people. That the gospel is branching out to everyone. Because the church, the family of God, is a group of people. People of different races, different nationalities, different ethnicities, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political parties, people who might even be traditionally enemies. The church is where they all come together as one 
in Jesus Christ. Why? Because all have a common problem. All of mankind. The Bible says that common problem is we all have sinned. And the Bible also tells us we all have a common solution, and that is Jesus. That Jesus is a solution for everybody's salvation. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Will be? They will be saved. So the story continues. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 27. So he started out, and this is Philip, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. Depending on your translations, yours might say like Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. In that day, Ethiopia was a huge country. It was basically, in Africa, everything south of the Nile River. So it was huge. And here's this man, and he's the treasurer of the entire region. And so he's pretty important. He's a powerful man. And the queen wanted to make sure that this guy never got, you know, went sideways or got any funny ideas or bright ideas. So she took care of that, and they made him a eunuch. And if you're wondering about that and you have questions, see Pastor Derek. He'll take care of it for you. He'll help you out. It goes on, verse 27. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. The Ethiopians worshiped all sorts of, quote, gods. And and in his search to figure out what's out there, he said, I'm going to go. I'm curious. And so he decided to go worship the God of the Jews. Verse 28. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading. Now, for me, when I read Scripture, I, I see a lot of humor in Scripture a lot of times. Maybe some of you do too. Maybe some of you kind of relate to my humor. But on his way, he was sitting in his chariot. What that tells me, first of all, he, he's a powerful man. He's in charge, right? And so, of course, he's sitting. He's sitting in his chariot. But the reason I, I, I grab it is because I know that the chariot isn't like Ben-Hur chariots, right? This isn't like you and I picturing, you know, this big chariot with horses pulling it, you know, and, and big giant wheels. This is a, more like a carriage. A carriage is where he's sitting in this carriage, and four to six to eight guys with poles connecting to the carriage are walking and carrying him the 1,000 to 2,000 miles back to Ethiopia. So it's letting us know he's powerful and he's sitting there in his chariot as they're all carrying him. It's much like I do every week when the staff takes me out to lunch. Verse 28, he's reading the book of Isaiah the prophet and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? And the guy says, how can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited again, here's Chris's humor. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And all these poor guys are like, come on. You have a guest. Can't we set this down? And like, you know, you come down to him and have a con. No, no, no. He comes up and they're just like, oh, it's already heavy enough as it is. But here's the real point. In the midst of thousands of people coming to Christ in Jerusalem, hundreds, even thousands coming to to Christ and receiving salvation of the Sumerians, in the midst of all of that, God is seeking how many people? One person. You see, the heart of God is that God wants salvation for the one. That God cares about the one. And you need to understand this morning, God cares about you. God loves you. He cares about you. And 
Those people that are around you that you have influence with and influence over, neighbors, friends, coworkers, people that are connected if, you know, to your kids or, or grandkids or nieces or nephews, you know, activities, all those people that you're connected to, God cares about every single one of them. That Philip would leave this amazing work to go to one. And that's what he does. Now, why does God do that? He cares about the one. This Ethiopian eunuch was curious about God. And he had questions about God. God had been preparing his heart. Maybe he was wondering and thinking about eternity and all that's happening and thinking to himself, there's got to be more. I mean, I know I'm in this position, but there's got to be more in life than, to life than this. Perhaps he was wondering, or perhaps you've wondered, there's this internal sense of, something's not right in my life. Maybe he's wondering, these quote gods, these all these statues and images, this can't be what it all comes from and what it's all about. And so he traveled to Jerusalem to say, well, there's another group of people who believe in a different type of God. There's something missing in my life, and I know it. And for some of you, that's, you're asking those questions. And I encourage you to think about this. God just might be speaking to you in those questions. Some of you, you're here this morning and you've had a painful experience or something that has caused you to realize how fragile life is. And you're wondering, what else is there? Is there more? Here's what I know. God was preparing this Ethiopian eunuch to hear a message. And God has been preparing some of you to hear a message today. You are not here by accident. God has you here today on this very day on purpose. And for some of you, God wants to use you as his messenger to somebody else who is searching. That God is calling you. One of the things I love, I'm looking around here and Josh and Christy, Leah, and, and uh, we're looking at you guys with your, your whole ministry that you're doing to the um, Afghani people. And I got to tell you, as, as what you guys are doing, and it's independent, we're going to talk about this in the future. As they are doing this, they say, God cares about the one. One person who has come, who's traveled here for another country, and we're going to reach out, and we're going to care, and we're going to do that because God cares about the one. Can I ask you, as you think about right now, who lives next to you? Who is in your community? Who are you working with? We've talked a little bit about Vicky's ministry, and it's just incredible what they're doing. Josh and Christy, they're, they're getting ready literally to move to Carmichael to care about the one, a group of people who need Jesus. God cares, and God's calling you, and He's calling you to reach out, and He's calling you to care about the one. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendant? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch was reading something from Scripture, Isaiah 53. It's something that was prophesied 800 years before that a, a Savior was coming. And the Savior would come, but when He comes, He would be like a lamb led to the slaughter. And when He was accused, 
of doing something wrong, he would be silent. Anybody know the story of Jesus? Anybody know the story when he went before Pilate and he was accused of things he didn't do, of of crimes he didn't commit? And what does the Bible talk about when Jesus stood there? What did he say? He said nothing. He remained silent before them, knowing this death he was about to take on our behalf. The passage said that he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. What does that mean? That's very interesting. For you and I, we don't grasp it. The Jewish people understood that. You see, sheep or lambs were animals that were sacrificed by the Jews. And so every year, a father would go to the temple, and he would take a sheep or he would take a lamb, and he would take it, and he would lay it upon the altar. And then he would confess the sins of his family, himself and his family. And as he did that, the priest would slit the throat of the lamb, and the blood of the lamb would pour out over the altar. And as that blood of the lamb was poured out over the altar, that lamb was dying for the sins of the family. That lamb took their place. It was his sh- that lamb shed blood, poured out for the family's sins so that they could be forgiven. You want to hear the gospel or the good news of Jesus in just four simple words? Jesus took my place. That's the simplicity of it. Jesus took my place. Jesus took your place. That's the gospel. Theologians, they have fancy terms. They always do. They call it substitutionary atonement. That's where Jesus substituted himself for us and took upon himself the punishment that we actually deserve. Just like the Jewish people in that sheep or that lamb that took upon the family sin and took the punishment on itself and it was killed and it died for the sins of the family. Verse 34, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who's this prophet talking about? Isaiah, is he talking about himself or is he talking about somebody else? Great question, Mr. Eunuch. Let me tell you. Verse 35. Then Philip began with the very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. You think God was working here? That he was reading that passage? That he had just been to Jerusalem? He had watched the sacrifices? And Philip began with that passage and began to share the salvation story that Jesus took his place that Jesus did all the work on his behalf, that we deserve punishment for our sin, but God gave us love and life and freedom instead of the death we deserve. Maybe you've heard the phrase before that religion is spelled D-O, right? It's about what you have to do. You've got to earn your salvation. You've got to work for it. you got to, you know, even if you believe in God, you just got to kind of keep doing work. But we know that faith in Jesus Christ The gospel, the good news is spelled D-O-N-E, that it is done, that it is finished, that I am accepted by God because of what Jesus has done for me. Or as Ephesians chapter 2 says, it is by grace, God's grace to us, that you and I have been saved through faith. And it is not of ourselves, not by work. It's a gift of God so that we can't boast because, you know, we earned it or we did it. Jesus took my place. Jesus took your place. That's the great news. That's the incredible love that First John 3.11 says that God lavished upon us. Look at verse 36. Story continues. He shared this incredible message of Jesus Christ. So what happened? What happened to this Ethiopian? How did he feel about the message? Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch asked, look, here is some water. 
what can stand in the way of me being baptized? Now, some manuscripts have verse 37, some don't. But here's what the verse says. It says, it says if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he gave orders to stop the chariot, to which these guys are like, thank you. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. It's an incredible story. I know that's not all of our stories, but it's an incredible story. And so I ask you, what is your salvation story? Because when we look at this story with this Ethiopian eunuch, we discover that every salvation story has at its very core a decision. The eunuch made a decision to follow Jesus. Salvation, the Bible tells us, is a free gift of God, but we have to receive the gift. We have to make a decision to receive the, the gift. And my question to you is, have you ever said yes? Have you actually said yes to the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? If you're like me, you think, okay, I've said yes. Some of you, I've talked to you. Some of you say, I've kind of said that a few times. What does yes look like? Well, the Bible has a bunch of different verses that kind of round out or help us understand what it means to say yes to salvation. I like how Romans describes it in chapter 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that means that, that he's Lord of your life, that, that he, you've transferred your trust to him. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, one heart, with, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Confess that Jesus is Lord, meaning he's in charge of our life, and believe. In Acts chapter 16, the jailer, after hearing the good news, the gospel from Paul, he asked, what do I have to do to be saved? And Peter said, believe and be baptized. So some of us ask the question, okay, what does it mean to say yes? What does it mean to believe? In Jesus. I mean, after all, James chapter 2, verse 19 says that even the demons believe in God. So the question becomes what does saving belief mean? What does saving belief look like? What is saying yes to the salvation in Jesus Christ? What does it look like? Well, you begin to take all these verses of the, in the New Testament about how it's described on, on receiving Jesus for salvation, saving faith. Or saving belief simply means surrendering our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to believe. The demons believe in God. Let me ask you, have they surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? No, of course not. Surrendering our life to Jesus, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that He's in charge. I, one of the terms I use from time to time around here is that we transfer our trust. We transfer from, you know, trusting in ourselves and doing it and earning it and being a good person or trusting maybe in something else to trusting in Jesus for our salvation, trusting in him for our life. Have you made that step? Have you made the decision in faith to believe, which is surrendering your life to Jesus Christ? That's the first part of the salvation story. The second part of the salvation story is that every salvation story has a decision and then it has a declaration. It has a decision and then it has a declaration. In verse 38, if you look back there in Acts 8, it says, as soon as they came to some water, they went down and Philip baptized 
This man, once you and I make a decision to follow Jesus, we then declare that through baptism. Some of us are thinking, and we read this story, and they've been traveling along, and then boom, the first time they see water, they go get baptized. Some of us are thinking, whoa, whoa, right away? Aren't we skipping a few steps? I mean, uh, baptism, I, I, I thought I need to have some big ceremony. I thought there needs to be some classes I need to take. I thought I need to stand before some elders and, you know, profess my faith. I, need, I thought I need to walk down an aisle, say a special prayer. I thought I had to do all of this stuff. It seems a little too soon. But as you read through the nine conversion stories listed in the book of Acts, or the, God, the book of Acts, every single one of them, what you discover, you said a couple things. First of all, you discover that first, people make this internal decision, this commitment to give their life to Jesus Christ, to surrender to Him. And then after that, immediately after that, they then chose to demonstrate an external commitment of baptism. I just want to tell you a few of them. In Acts chapter 2, this is the first time Jesus has gone up to heaven. It's the first time someone's going to tell everybody about Jesus, okay? It's going to go public. So they came out from hiding in a room. The Holy Spirit came upon them. They're filled with his power. They go out into the street, and Peter gets up, and he just starts telling everybody, hey, you guys killed Jesus, and he's the Savior. I know you believe in God, but, but, but Jesus is the Savior that God promised. And the people of the Bible says were cut to the heart and they realized what had happened and what they had done. And they asked the question, what do we have to do to be saved? And Paul answered the question in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, or Peter, excuse me, and he replied and said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it goes on, it says, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number when? That day. You accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. That internal decision that you make, that internal dis uh, uh, choice you make, that internal commitment, that repentance part, that confess he is Lord part, that believe part. And then you complete that with the external act of baptism. Acts chapter 8, verse 12 it tells us that the, that the Sumerians, that they believed Philip, and then after they believed, they were baptized. Notice the order of that passage. They believed in Jesus first. They said yes. They made a decision. And then they were baptized. Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 16. You can jot those down and look them up. All the stories. They believed. They made a decision for Jesus. And then they were baptized. There is no gap in the New Testament between somebody trusting Jesus as their Savior and then being baptized. Now, why'd they do that? If you've been here and you've watched baptisms, we pull out the, 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 the tub over there and we immerse people because that's what they did in the New Testament. They immerse people. Why do we do that? Why do we go through, call it a ceremony, call it whatever you want. There's deep theological meaning, but it's also simple. Why do we do that? Do you want to know why? It's very simple. One reason because Jesus said to do it. That's it. We try to make it even more, and we want to make sure people have all this knowledge and all of this. Jesus said, if you give your life to me, then just go be baptized. This is your way of identifying. This is with me. This is your way of saying, yes, I believe the message of Jesus, and I'm following, and this is the first thing he asked us to do, so I'm going to do it. And we know that because he told those first followers in Matthew 28, verse 19, I want you to go make disciples, and I want you to baptize them. That's why we do it. Jesus said to do it. 
Baptism is our first evidence that we've transferred our trust to Jesus, that we've surrendered to His Lordship. Here's the question for some of us here this morning. If you have met Jesus and received salvation, have you been baptized after you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Now I get it, some of us, when we hear that, we're like, well, I got some hang-ups with the baptism things. I got some hold-ups with it. I'm not quite sure. I, I've heard all the examples and the excuses or just the struggles over the years. I've heard people say, well, I, I get it, but, you know, it, it's not really that important. And every time I hear that, I, I, the thought crosses my mind, if this is the first thing that Jesus asks us to do as his follower, and it's the easiest thing to do, what's going to happen to you when Jesus asks you to do something hard? It is important. Why? Because Jesus said to do it. Another hang-up I know people say as well, I, I was baptized as a baby. I just remind you, go read the stories, all nine conversion stories in the Bible. Baptism comes after a profession of faith. And so I want to say to those of you who are baptized as an infant, as a baby, which includes me, my parents did that for me. What's so awesome about it is that was my parents and your parents' statement of your parents' faith. And I thank God for them, and I thank God that they did that for me because they did that in faith, hoping and praying that one day I would surrender my life to Jesus Christ. If someone has baptized you as an infant, you can praise God for that, and you can praise God that now you get to complete what they prayed for you for. You get to now declare the decision that you made to follow Jesus. You now get to have your declaration after you made a personal choice, a personal response to follow God, and you're saying, I'm, I'm completing that process and joining His family. God's inviting some of us here this morning, calling some of us to finally take that step and be baptized as a Jesus follower. Some people say, well, I'm not quite ready there. I'm not quite there. Usually behind that is some form of, I got to be better. I gotta, I gotta, I'm not quite where I need to be. Religion spelled D-O, do, 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 but it's already done with Jesus Christ. This is, Jesus says to do it. Remember what we talked about last week if you were here in Philippians 1.6. Jesus is doing the work in us and He began it. He'll carry it on to completion. It's not what we try to do or earn. Ephesians 2 tells us we can't do it. We can't earn it. And so if that's been your hangup, you can say, I'm identifying with Jesus. That's what, that's what it is. And then finally, I think there's some, I've heard this one quite a few times over the years. There's people who will say, man, I've been a Christian, a Jesus follower for 20, 30, 40 years, and it just kind of feels weird to do this now. Like I should have done it a while ago, or, or you feel bizarre, weird, or guilty, or whatever the case may be. You know what? You don't have to. You don't have to feel that way because you're here this morning and you're hearing that part of your salvation journey and story is that there is that decision and there is that declaration. So today, now, in your heart can be that step that you take to say, I'm ready for my immediately. Just like uh, those people in Acts chapter 2, just like the Ethiopian eunuch, just like the jailer, that now, this season, this week, can be your immediately. I ask you, what is your salvation story? Have you, like the Ethiopian eunuch, have you made a decision? 
to surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you transferred your trust to Him? Salvation is the pillar of our entire faith. And second, for those of you who've made that decision to follow Jesus, not before, but after you made that decision, have you declared that through baptism? That you say, I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to know it. I want God to know it. And I want others to know it. And if that's you this morning, we're going to give you an opportunity to pray and, and, and say to God, I'm ready. And there's some of you, you don't know Jesus. You haven't made the decision. And we're going to give you an opportunity to make that decision today. To follow Jesus. To receive salvation. And then there's another category of people that you're here this morning. You know Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And, and you've given your life to Him and declared it through baptism. And you're here this morning. I imagine that's the majority of us. A lot of us. And today, one of the, as you remember your story and look back on that, and as we sing the song, that you don't want that salvation story to ever lose its power in your life. And today, God is calling you to be a Philip to somebody else. God is calling you to reach out to others. Like Vicky, like the Leahs, like others who say, I'm going to people because God cares about a one. This one person, my coworker, my neighbor, my friend. And I'm going to let God use me. Is that you? Is God tugging on your heart? Is God putting faces and names in front of you? Let's pray about this.